Uh, this morning, as we uh, continue on uh, with our summer series on the teachings and scriptures of Jesus, uh, we've been going through this really neat portion of the scriptures of Jesus called Genesis, and we've been tracking with a person named Abram. And I hope you've been encouraged so far by the couple of conversations we've had. But this Sunday, we get the special treat of having a guest speaker here with us to guide us in this time of reflection and engagement. Uh, as many of you know, Ethnos, we're part of a larger family of communities just like this, uh, all throughout urban spaces in the world, urban spaces specifically around major universities. And this Sunday, we get a chance to hear from one, one of our newest Ethnos communities uh, in the network. Uh, we get to hear from our leader in Queens, New York, uh, Eddie Donfat. Yeah, okay, so we have some people excited for Queens, all right. Queens representation in the house, awesome. Uh, Eddie is a leader and a pastor there, and he is just at the beginning stages of getting a new community started. I'm going to invite him up to kind of share a little bit more about that before he dives in. But um, Eddie and I got to meet actually a few years ago through some different leadership kind of events, and we, we clicked really well, I think, when we first met. And then earlier this year, uh, or was it earlier this year or late last year? Earlier this year, right? Man, time is time is flying. February. We happened to be in a situation together where we spent like four days, like an intensive conversation together and, and doing a number of different things. And it was one of those moments where you just realized, okay, I think God is doing something, bringing us together and allowing us a chance to really work together. Um, I'm really excited that Eddie is here with us uh, this morning. Uh, I, I've, I, I kind of jokingly always call Eddie Mr. Smooth and Sultry because his voice is just like, is like just, it's one of those voices that just gets to me. I'm like, wow, I want to listen to, and I want to be like, tell me what you're saying, Eddie, because I think you have something good for me to learn from. And so I'm really excited, Eddie, that we're, other than his voice, Eddie is an amazing, amazing person in terms of his walk with God, his walk with Jesus. He's here with his wife, Mawish. Uh, let's give it up for Eddie. And uh, Eddie... Feel free to introduce yourself and then just launch in and get us started, okay? Sure, sure. Thanks. I think, uh, Yukon, you definitely hype up my voice uh, more than I, I'm, I'm comfortable with. Uh, so <laughs> I guess you could tell that that, uh, that, that four days was a special time, you know? Uh, we got very close, you know? <laughs> no, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come and share with you uh, this morning. Um, so as you come with sharing, I'm a, I'm a church planter, so that's just, that's just somebody who helps to start churches. And, you know, it has very much, it has the same similarities as starting a business, right? So four out of five of our church plants that start within the first five years will fail, right? And so um, if you don't realize this already, uh, church planning, usually the people that go into church planning are usually a little crazy, right? And so I'm sure Yukon has shared some crazy stories with you guys and what he's been doing uh, with you guys here. I have to say, I've just been really encouraged by my time here so far. You know, so just a, a quick little bit about me. So my name's Eddie Danpat. I co I'm, come from Queens, born and raised in Queens, and I've grown up in church most of my life, right? And so uh, seeing the, the service and what God's been doing here and just a lot of the elements that have been brought in, I, I've just been really encouraged by this time. I have to tell you, I mean, 
you know, just some of the things that would be so wrong to do in the church that I grew up in are just free-flowing here, right? Like, you know, we, we were playing some music that is not a part of the church, right? Like, that's awesome, right? That, because a deeper understanding of God is that God is in everything, right? That, that his goodness, his, his, his common good is interspersed into all that we see in our world. And so, um, so, it's, so God has made himself available through all these means uh, to be able to see him. Now, just a, a little bit more quick about myself. You know, so I, I'm born and raised in Queens. So are there any baseball fans here? No? Okay. So, so if you know anything about Queens, you know, New York has two major teams. It's got the Yankees and the Mets. How many, anybody here Yankees fans? Okay. All right, anybody here, I guess no one here is probably a fan of the New York teams, right? Is that? Oh, okay, there we go. Yes. So I grew up not too far from the Mets stadium. Right, not the Yankee Stadium, but the Mets Stadium. And so the Mets team, their nickname is the Amazing Mets. Now the Amazing Mets have basically won a World Series when I was four, and they've not been amazing since. <laughs> right, and so um, that's kind of what my background is. I have a four, we have a six-year-old son. Uh, he is um, he's got more energy than we can handle, and so. Uh, we're trying to figure things out. You know, I complain to Yukon all the time. You know, I don't know what I'm doing, uh, but uh, we, we trust that God will help us out. So this morning, um, we're going to be looking at a pretty important chapter in the Bible, uh, a pretty poor, important chapter in the, the, the story of Jesus, and, and uh, particularly right at the beginning of this story in the book of Genesis. And so as Yukon was sharing, we're looking here at the story of Abram. And I know that people like myself, you know, people that talk about the Bible, we always say that every chapter in the Bible is the most important chapter in the Bible. But let me tell you that Genesis 15, which is what we're going to look at today, is one of those chapters that's probably one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Now, before we get into this, uh, I just want to set this up a little bit for you. I, I'm assuming you guys have talked about Genesis 12 already, right? So, um, Earlier, three chapters before this, God makes this big, big, big promise to Abram. This, this, this world-shattering promise to Abram. And what we're going to be looking at today is basically God's going to reaffirm this big promise that he makes to Abram. And as, as we're uh, exploring this idea, we're gonna, I, I want to touch really on three things. So just to kind of give you a roadmap of what we're going to be talking about today. The first thing that we're going to look at, or the first two things that we're going to look at is, what is the nature of this promise that God gives to Abram? What are the, the, what's the components of it? What is it made up of? Right? When God makes a promise, what are the things that are true about it? We're going to look at two of those things. And then the last thing that we're going to look at is, well, how do you take hold of this promise? How do you, how do you grab it? How do you incorporate it into your life? So those are the things that we're going to be looking at today. But before we do that, here's what I'd like you to do. Yukon says this is totally cool with you, right? So I, I'm, I'm going to do it, and if it's not cool with you, blame Yukon, right? <laughs> so uh, what I'd like you to do right now is just turn into your groups of two or three, and I want you to answer this question. Has anyone ever made a promise to you that they broke? Has anyone ever made a promise to you that they broke? Now, if the person that broke the promise is next to you, uh, maybe you don't share that one, right? And if we need some, uh, if, if we need some counseling afterwards, you know, UConn is here. So, uh, 
But to do that right now. You know, just turn into your groups really quick and talk about a promise that someone made to you that they may have broke. Go ahead and do that for a few minutes. Take another minute or two. Take another minute or two. If you haven't got a chance to share, go ahead and do that now. All right, how we doing? Anybody need any more time? All right, let's bring it back in. Let's bring it back in. Well, I'm not going to ask anybody to share because <laughs> why not? <laughs> I don't want to incriminate anybody, right? I don't, I don't know who's here and who may not be here. So, but rather than have you share, I'll share one of, one of my uh, stories of somebody breaking a promise to me. So when I was in high school, I had a friend. And this friend uh, asked me to borrow $1,000 to buy a old school Toyota Supra. So I don't know if there's any cars fans here, but it's kind of one of those cars that looks cool, but it's like super old and, you know, it's all messed up. But so my friend was a little bit older than me. Uh, he's probably about four years older than me, but he came to me nonetheless. I was in high school and he said to me, hey, can I borrow $1,000? Now, in hindsight, I probably should have realized that this guy who's older than me is asking somebody who's younger than him for money. I should have realized he's probably not too good with money. But um, anyway, so he asked me to borrow $1,000 uh, to buy this car. Now, what's interesting about the way he asked me this is he basically came to me and said, let me, if you let me borrow this $1,000, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay this back to you in record time. And on top of this, I'm going to give you an additional $500 for your time. He, you know where I'm going with this, right? So he, he basically made this deal sound too good. It was, it, it, was, it was amazing. And so me in my high school days is thinking, how could I pass up this deal? How could I pass up earning almost 50% on the loan that I'm going to give him? And he's going to pay me back in record time. Of course, nothing's going to go wrong. Now, as you can imagine, plenty went wrong. And I'll save you most of the ending of this story. Uh, but basically what happened is he didn't pay me in record time, and he barely paid me back the initial money I gave him. Barely, right? I'm sure that there's many of us here today that have had experiences like that, where someone has made a promise to you and has broken it. And what happens to you when somebody breaks a promise to you? It does something to you, right? It, 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 it changes something inside of your soul. It makes you start to think, if this person breaks this promise, why wouldn't somebody else break a promise? And even on top of that, when somebody offers you a promise or a contract or something that is of far too great of a value, something that's beyond what a normal person would give you, well, then our, our spidey senses go up, don't they? And we start to think, man, uh, this, this has to be too good to be true. Now, our friend Abram here in the passage is in a similar situation. In Genesis 12, I'm not going to read it, but basically what happens in Genesis 12 is God goes to Abram and he offers him a, he gives him a promise that's just too good. 
He comes to him and says, look, Abram, I'm going to bless you beyond measure. I'm going to bless you so powerfully that the whole world is going to be blessed by you. Just think about this for a moment. Abram is some random guy probably in, you know, modern day Iraq hanging out uh, in this area. And God comes to him and says to him, I'm going to bless you so powerfully that the rest of the world will be blessed because of you. If you're sitting and you're Abraham, you got Abram, you got to think, man, there is this is too good to be true. And when we get to Genesis 15, what God essentially does in Genesis 15 is he reaffirms this uh, promise. You know, he doesn't just say it once. He, he doubles down on it, right? Like he, he, he says it again just to make sure that Abram is clear. In, in Genesis 15, verses 1, it says this. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. See, God is going back to this initial promise and reminding Abram, listen, you remember that great thing I told you in chapter 12? Let me remind you, don't be afraid. I'm going to give you a very great reward. Notice here something about this, that, that God doesn't hold any punches. God fails the first two rules of negotiation. First, he puts everything on the table. When you're negotiating with somebody or you're, you're, you're bartering a contract, you don't put everything on the table, right? You hold some things back to, ca to be a caveat for later. And the second thing that God does is he speaks first. The first rule of negotiation is you don't speak first. You let the other person speak first. But God breaks these. He goes to Abram, says to him, I'm going to bless you beyond measure. Now, if you're Abram, what do you think is going on in his mind? How do you think he's, he's reacting to this very vast and great uh, promise that God has laid for him? In verses th 2, through 15, uh, 2 through 5, sorry, a little tongue twister there. Uh, 2 through 5, uh, it says this. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, notice here, Sovereign Lord. He's, he's acknowledging him above the, the gods that he's familiar with. What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And, Abraham, and Abram says, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the stars, uh, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. What's going on here in this little nugget? Essentially, Abram hears this great promise from God, but he doubts it. He says, first, God, if I'm going to bless all of the world, if, if my family is going to bless all of the world, I've got one little problem. There's one little tiny thing that you've neglected to add in this equation. I have no children. I have no children of my own. And in fact, I have to take a gamble by giving all that I have to some person in my household because I don't have any children to pass it on to. God, I think you might have miscalculated here. If my family is supposed to bless the world, where are my children? It's kind of like 
it's kind of like this, this reality that when we're all, when somebody presents to us something that just seems unbelievable, the most natural reaction is to doubt it. And I think all of us here would, would agree with Abram. We think he would be justified. Doubt is a very natural response here. You know, one of the things that we do at my church, so I didn't share a little bit about my church. I'll, I'll share a little bit quick here. So I'm planting a church. The name of the church is Renew City Church. And we are, I mean, in, in value and in mission, I mean, I, I, we're as, as close to being carbon copies to what Yukon is doing here with the Ethnos Network that it's just crazy. Like I, I've never, you know, up until a few months ago, I never met Yukon before. And I'm just sharing with him, we're multi-ethnic. Uh, we love the city. We want to be a part of seeing uh, the gospel of Jesus transform the city in tangible ways, in real ways. Um, we love the fact that we're multi-generational and, and we want to be the kind of community that doesn't just talk about Jesus, but actually makes changes and impacts, right? So, um, so one of the things that we do is we partner with a farmer's market that's in Queens, not too far from where we're meeting. And at this farmer's market, what we do is uh, we just do free kids activities for, for the people that come to the farmer's market. So we come with our tent. We set everything up. We actually even do a raffle, and that's all free. Uh, you know, we don't charge for the raffle at all. We just, we just want to show people what it means to love Jesus and what the love of Jesus actually compels people to do, which is to, to serve without any strings attached. Do you know what the number one question most of the parents ask us when they come and they see our booth? How much is it? How much is it? Right. This this can't be this can't be free. What you guys I mean, we do some quality crafts. OK, I wish I had a picture to show you like some really good stuff. I mean, we did the streamer once. It was awesome. It had like like some stuff that would stream in the in the wind. And I mean, it was it was amazing. And as soon, when the parents come, the first thing they think is this thing can't be free. There's something inside of us that says when something is free, it can't it's not really free. Even when we do the raffle, people will always say to us, how much is the raffle? We're like, oh, it's free. They're like, nah, this can't be true. Like, we, we have people actually walk away from us because they're like, this can't be true. This really can't be free. We have to, there's some trick here. And so we're not even going to mess with it. Right? This is, this is kind of what I, when I think about what Abram is facing here, this is what I think is going on in his mind. Now, here's the thing that I want to say to you this morning. That it's very subtle, but it's important to hear. Abram doubts God, and God's okay with it. Abram doubts God. He, he doubts his plans. He, and on the one hand, he refers to him as sovereign Lord, and this is kind of a term to speak about him as the God over all gods. But he still doubts this God. And what's important to see here is that God is okay with it. See, you may be sitting here this morning, and maybe you're still figuring out this Jesus thing. Maybe there's some level of skepticism with regard to Jesus. Maybe you're not certain whether the Bible is a reliable source of truth, or, or, or whether what we know about Jesus is even true, or whether God is actually even good. When you look at all of the suffering and the pain that's in the world, those things cause pause for you. They cause you to question or they cause you to be skeptical. Here's the worst thing that you can think in light of that. The worst thing that you could think is that somehow God's not okay with that. Or that you can't have a conversation with God in the midst of your doubts. Do you see it here? 
He's doubting God to his face. And God, you know, does God respond by saying, how dare you, you insolent ant? I created all of the universe. How dare you question my power? No. He does something even subtler there. He basically just reminds Abram of who he is. Notice there what he says. He says, come outside for a moment. I want to show you something. You're questioning this promise. Come outside for a second. Take a look up at the stars. And notice the little phrase there. If you could count them, so shall your offspring breed. What is God basically getting at there? Here, here it is in a nutshell. You can't count those stars. But guess who can? And the person that has numbered each of those stars is saying to you, I promise that your family will be a blessing to the rest of this world. God's okay with your doubt. Don't run from him in your doubt. He wants to hear it. He wants to have a conversation with you. Now, the next verse there in that passage, you know, I tend to move through the passage. So if you're trying to wonder what my rhyme and reason is, I'm just moving along verse by verse. Um, the next verse there after five is verse six. Now, let me just make a quick note, and then we'll come back to it at the end. Essentially, verse six is the most important verse in this, is in this chapter, right? Now, I'm going to come back to it at the end, but I just want you to tuck it away. Verse 6, we're coming back to it. So, so far, right, God has just given Abraham this big promise, and Abraham has, uh, Abram has just, he's not Abraham yet. I apologize. I keep calling him Abraham. He doesn't become Abraham yet. He's almost there, but he's not there yet. Abram doubts God. What is the next thing that God does? In verses 7, uh, 7 through 15, it says this. I'm sorry, 7 through 9, it says this. He also said to him, again, this is God responding to Abraham's doubt and question. He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Again, God, I, I, I can't believe that this is true, yet you chose me from nobody and you're giving me all this. Verse 9, so the Lord said to him, bring a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, and here's what I want you to focus in on. It's going to be a little weird. This is one of those texts in the Bible that's a little weird, but I promise you I will explain it. Abram brought all of these things to him, cut them in half, arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcass, but Abraham drove them away. Very weird scenario. God basically, in the midst of Abram's doubt, God basically says, go get a bunch of animals and split them in half. Very weird, right? There's no modern day equivalent to that, right? And basically what Abram is doing is he's taking these very big animals, he's cutting them in half and putting their halves in rows, and he's basically creating a row of one half and a one, uh, you know, severed side of an animal and then another row of another severed side of an animal. And so basically what the goal is here, and again, I promise this is very grotesque, but it will make sense. The goal was just so that as the blood would drain, it would collect in the middle and form kind of like a blood path. The ground would be saturated with this blood. Very weird. Why in the world would God ask him to do something like this? 
Well, it fits culturally. Here's why. Because in ancient Mesopotamia, whenever people would do some uh, significant contracts like marriage or, or land transfer or something like that, they would participate in something called a cutting ritual. And essentially what the cutting ritual was is that they would take an animal, they would split this animal in half, allow the blood to collect in the middle, and then what the two parties would do in this ritual is that they would walk through it with the first person of honor walking through first. And when the persons walk through this severed animal with the blood on the ground, here's what they were basically saying. They were saying that I am so committed to this promise. I am so committed to this covenant. I am so committed to this contract that if I break it, may what has befallen this animal befall on me. That I... I am basically putting upon myself this, as this animal has died and its blood is collected in the middle, if I don't keep this promise, you can do to me what we've done to this animal. This is basically what, what, what's happening here. And so what God is essentially establishing in Abram's mind is this, that I'm dead serious about this commitment. I'm dead serious about this commitment. I'm not going to break this thing. And he's doing it by using one of the most vivid analogies in the context at that time. He's taking this, this, this cultural thing. Now, when I was, um, when, I, when I first, here's what I mean by this. How many, does anybody here any have student debt? Anyone here have student debt? Okay. Anybody here have debt? Over, well, maybe I shouldn't ask this. I feel, all right, maybe we'll get a little personal. I apologize. You know, you don't. <laughs> Anybody here have debt over 50K? Okay, all right. So some of you, man, God bless you. You had a lot of studies, lots of debt, right? Now imagine for a moment if I came and said, man, I just won the lottery. And you know what? I'm going to pay off your debt. Praise the Lord. Where's the dance? Come on, right? I'm paying off your debt, right? Now, outside of the first initial celebration, the first thing that should be going through your mind is, if he's serious about this, what should happen? His checkbook should come out, right? There should be some kind of act that signals to you that I'm going to pay this off, right? Either I got a trunk of money somewhere or I brought the suitcase in or my Bible's padded with money. I like there has to be something where this money is to, to show that I'm actually serious about this thing that I said to you. In a similar way, what God is doing here with Abram is he's saying, I want you to be absolutely convinced. I want to put the down payment on this, this, this covenant, this promise with you, that I'm dead serious about it. And so prepare the animals. We're, gonna, we're about to get into this contract. We're about to get into this promise. You know, a, a, a less, you know, a, a probably one that we're more familiar with is, is a marriage. Uh, uh, when a marriage takes place, Right? There's, there's two parties that are coming together. There's a ceremony around it. The ceremony doesn't make the love in the marriage. It only it, it illustrates what the love of the marriage should be. Right? There's, there's a, it's a sign that, pro, that proclaims the seriousness of this, um, the seriousness of this, of this promise. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what I want to draw your attention to. See, God borrows from the culture to make a point to Abram. He borrows this, this cutting ritual. 
But what's very interesting about this is that although God borrows this cutting imagery, he changes it in a significant way. Let me see. Let's see if you can catch it. Starting in verse 12. It says, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors, uh, to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back, uh, come back here, for the sins of the Amorites have not yet reached its full measure." Let me just stop there for a second because I want to focus in on the next two verses. What's basically happening here? God puts Abram to sleep. He basically says, Abram's just, you know, he's probably tired. He just split some very large animals in half and has allowed their blood to hang. And he actually is fighting off vultures, right? So at this point, it's, it's probably sunset and he's getting tired. So God puts him into a deep sleep. And what basically happens here is God, God shows him the future of what's going to happen to his family. And I think what's important here, this is just a side note to realize that although the promises of God are, are, are too good, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're perfect. And it doesn't necessarily mean that there's not going to be hard times. God is laying out for Abram here some very difficult times that his family is going to undergo in the next couple of generations. But here's, as far as the promise of God is concerned, here's what I want you to focus in on in verses 17. It says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, now it's evening, focus in on this here. A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. Let me see if you caught here the, 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 the quick, the, the little difference here that God puts on this cutting ritual. So let's set the scene, right? Abram's just split these animals in half. There's blood that's collected on the bottom. At this point, it's probably been soaked up by the ground. Abram's tired. He falls asleep. But then in the evening time, he kind of wakes up and he sees this interesting picture. He sees this, this smoking pot or this, this, this incense pot. With a, with a blazing torch alongside of it. And what this blazing torch is doing is it's going in between the two animals, uh, between the two ropes. Now, it, it, this is very typical of that time period. Uh, smoking incense and a blazing fire are oftentimes used to be synonymous or analogous to the presence of God. The presence of God is, is kind of like smoke, right? You know it's there, but you can't really grasp it. And the presence of God is kind of like this burning fire or this torch in the night. It provides direction and guidance. So this presence of God now walks between these two pieces. What's missing in the way the cutting ritual should have been? See, in the cutting ritual, remember, both parties are supposed to go through the middle. But in this cutting ritual, what's missing? Abram, right? Abram's just hanging out on the side under a tree somewhere. He's taking a nap. He's, he hasn't even probably gotten up yet. The only person walking through the middle of these animals is God. 
Why is this important? Because here's what God is basically saying. What God is basically saying is this. When I make a promise with you, and this is what you can take home this morning as well. When God makes a promise with you, not only does he provide the benefit of the, of the promise, but he also carries its curse. God is willing, essentially, to take both sides of this promise. Even if we break our end of the promise, God is willing to say, I'm still going to be committed to this promise for you. I'm not going to give up on this promise. I'm not going to just let it slide by. The promise of blessing that is to come to this earth, I'm not going to give up on. Now, this initial promise is not the only promise that God makes. God makes some more promises throughout the rest of the Bible. There's, there's a guy in the Bible, his name's Moses. Anybody like the Prince of Egypt, right, that, that movie, right? God makes a promise with him. There's another guy named King David, right? Remember David and Goliath, right? God makes a promise with him. And then God finally ends his promises with humanity with the person of Jesus, and what Jesus does is he does something very amazing, very unique. He takes this initial promise that God makes with Abram, and now he completes it. He fulfills it. Here's how. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he brings his disciples together in the upper room. And he does something new with them. It's, you know, today in church we call this communion or the Lord's Supper. And basically, he brings them together, and he redefines for them one promise that God makes uh, the, 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 during the Passover, right, to, to Moses. But what's interesting there is this, this, the Lord's Supper has two parts to it. First, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me, the first thing Jesus says. The second thing he says is what I want you to draw your attention to. Jesus says, uh, the scriptures tell us that, uh, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the cup, he gave thanks and said, what does he say? For those of you who've been in church a long time, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which has been shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's essentially tying what he does when he dies on the cross way back to Abram, way back to this blood ritual where God basically stands in the middle of these two severed animals, and he's saying, I'm going to give you the benefit and take the punishment. Then we fast forward all the way over to Jesus. And when Jesus dies on the cross and offers us eternal life, what Jesus is saying there is that I'm offering you eternal life, but I've also taken the punishment. I've also taken the punishment for sin. Jesus simultaneously completes God's initial promise with Abram 3,000 years later. Can you just imagine, just for a moment, you know, this is just a quick side note, can you just imagine a contract or a promise that lasted for 3,000 years? Can you just think about how to even, you know, even maintaining that, right? God kept his promise in the person of Jesus. He kept his initial promise in effect for 3,000 years until Jesus comes. And then finally in Jesus God makes good on his promise. Now, you may be asking yourself, my hope is, is at this point, what you're, what, you're, what you're wrestling with or what you're thinking through is, if this promise is really that good, 
If God is promising that he's going to bless the world and that in Jesus there's this thing called eternal life, which essentially means that God is going to help you to be exactly who you are right now and that when this world passes away that you will become exactly who you were meant to be. It means that the purpose, the, the identity, the, 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 the unique wiring that God has put in you, when you follow Jesus, Jesus helps that to come out. The Holy Spirit helps to birth that inside of you and to help you to become who you've been meant to, who you've been wired to be. You know, when I came in this this uh, this morning, I was talking to uh, Young and uh, we're all hanging out and, and Young's like, yeah, we're a, we're a pretty re- weird crew, right? And I'm like, yeah, you know, in, ter- in my church plant, we're, we're, a pretty, we're a pretty weird crew as well, right? Now, that may seem as, as, as a knock, but it's really not. It's just essentially what happens when you really bring together a group of people that are okay with being who they are, you're going to have a weird group, right? You're not going to have uniformity, right? You're not going to have everybody that's going to look the same. You're not going to have a bunch of lemmings. There's going to be a bunch of people that are comfortable in their own skin. And what that's going to do is it's going to create a community that's going to sometimes be a little edgy on some parts or sometimes it's going to be, uh, you, know, uh, you know, loving and caring, but also it's going to sometimes cause conflict, right? But that's all part of what God is trying to do. He's trying to create this community that's beautifully diverse. And doesn't see, the, the Bible tells us that the church is meant to seek unity, not uniformity. Well, that's not in the Bible, but that's, that's, a, that's, a, good, that's a good phrase, right? <laughs> so here's kind of where I want to end. I want to end this, this time by answering this question. How do you take hold of this promise, right? This promise wasn't just meant for Abram. It's meant for you today. How do you take hold of this? Remember I mentioned we're going to go to verse 6. Well, now we're going to it. Verse 6, essentially, I'm paraphrasing here. It says this. It says that Abram believed in God, and he credited to him his righteousness. Abram believed in God, and he credited to him his righteousness. Let me answer the question for you quickly. And then I'll explain it. If you want to take hold of God's promise for you today, all that is required is that you believe. And in fact, there's nothing that you could do to actually earn that promise from God. God is too far above us that anything that we could do would never equal what God is giving us in return. So God, rather than trying to force us to earn it, He actually just gives it to us for free. But... What does it mean to believe? See, because there's, in the English language, what it means to, be, to, to believe is not the same as what it meant in the Bible. See, in the Bible, what it means to believe is that belief oftentimes accompanies action. See, in, in, in English, the word believe only entails something that goes on in your mind. It's something that happens up here. I believe... Uh, so, for example... I believe that um, eating healthy is a good thing, right? I believe that. But do I eat healthy? Not really, right? I believe that exercising daily is a good thing. But do I exercise daily? Not, Not even close, right? I believe that if I communicate well to my wife, it will be good for our marriage, But does my wife have to constantly ask me how I'm feeling and to draw me out? Absolutely. Right? 
I believe these things. These things are, uh, if you ask, you make me fill out a test and say, do I believe these things? I'm checking off each of these boxes. But do my actions uh, correspond to my belief? The answer is no. And according to the Bible, that's not belief. See, you don't actually believe something unless you put action towards it. God shows us this, par this paradigm, right? God is giving this promise to, uh, to Abram, and he doesn't just leave it in the thought world. He doesn't just do it in his head. He creates this great ritual, and then we see 3,000 years later, Jesus comes as the embodiment of God fulfilling his promise. God takes action towards what he believes. And so if we're going to, this morning, uh, grab hold of God's promise, then we have to believe in the right way. Not just with our minds, but with our, with our actions. I'm just going to end here quickly with this, this quick story. Actually, you can, how much time do I have? Zero. Okay, all right. This quick story. <laughs> okay, quick story. So my son, when he was four years old, he, he was fearless. My son at four, he would climb to the heights of a, of a jungle gym. And at four, if I, motion, if I just motioned my hands that I was going to catch him, he'd jump. He would leap and, like, he wouldn't even make eye contact with me. He'd just be looking off in the distance, completely careless about how he's going to land, right? He, 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 I mean, there's been times where, like, my heart is dropping because he's jumping from a super high place, right? And part of it is because I probably wasn't really a good parent. I, I probably should have told him not to climb that high, but, you know, it is what it is, right? I mean, he's okay now, so. <laughs> but, but now, at six, he's six years old now. He's six going on to seven between six and seven, now he still climbs up to the top of these uh, jungle gyms, but now sometimes he's a little afraid. And the reason why he's afraid is because he's had a couple spills since then. Right? We've had to take him to the emergency room a couple times. And so now he knows, okay, if I mess up here, something's going to happen. And so he's a little bit more uh, cautious. And so I will literally spend like Twenty minutes trying to convince him, I got you, I got you, I got you. You know, I will catch you. Don't worry about it. You can come down. He's just gripping onto whatever blue and red jungle gym that he that, that's there, and he will not come down. I got you. I finally I just get so upset with him. I'm like, forget it. I don't got you. I'm gone. <laughs> right? Like, he's. <laughs> I just I'm just thinking of the last time this happened. That's why I was laughing. When, when the Bible talks about faith, it talks about this. See, the, the reason why my son is able to jump off of heights that he knows will hurt him is because he knows that his dad is there. He knows that no matter what happens, his dad will be there to catch him. And even if his dad is not able to catch him, he knows that dad will put him in the car and take him to the emergency room. Right? He, he knows that no matter what happens... Dad will fix it. Now, here's what I want you to see. Most of us, when we think about faith, we think about faith as my son jumping off of the jungle gym. But the way the Bible teaches about faith, faith is actually when my son climbs up the jungle gym. See, because faith is not a leap, it's a climb. It's not just a momentarily, oh, I just surrender everything and I take a leap. No, the Bible tells us about faith is that it's a climb. It's one step after the next. And so right now, I'm imagining there's probably about three people here today. There's some of you here that are maybe skeptical of 
Christianity and skeptical of the church and skeptical of Jesus. Here's what I want to say to you. What's the one step that you could take today? Maybe it's just having a serious conversation with Yukon. Or maybe it's buying a book that deals with something that uh, is, uh, or, you know, buying a book is back when I was a kid, right? Maybe you just watch a YouTube video, right? <laughs> maybe it's just exploring the questions that you have. Or maybe there's some of you here today that are on the belief side, the intellectual side. You agree with what the Bible says. You agree with what Jesus says. But your life hasn't actually started to look different. You've not actually started the walk. Maybe for you this morning, your next step is if you haven't been baptized yet. Maybe talking to Yukon again or to Young about being baptized. Or maybe it's just making the commitment to be disciplined about following Jesus. It means coming to church and reading your Bible even when, it don't, when you don't feel like it. Maybe that's you this morning. What's the next step you can take? Or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, faithfully. And maybe you come to church regularly and you do all the right things. But maybe Jesus hasn't entered into all areas of your life. He doesn't come with you to your classroom. He doesn't come with you to your work. Maybe it's time for you to, uh, maybe it's time for you to come out of the closet. It's time for you to step forward and to be authentically who God has made you to be. That doesn't mean that you're pushy or angry or anything like that. It just means that you're Jesus where you are, regardless of the space. So I don't know where you are today, but I want to challenge you with this. Would you take the next step in your faith today, wherever you are? God has shown himself to be true. God has shown himself that he's willing to go leaps and bounds for you. Would you just take the next step of faith? Let me close. Uh, pray? Okay. All right. I'm going to pray and then Yukon's going to come up. Let me just pray for you all. Gracious God, thank you that your promises are true. That you're willing to keep in effect a promise for 3,000 years in order to bless those that you've called. So, God, I just pray for everyone here today and wherever they are in their journey. I pray, God, that you would, through the power of your spirit, challenge them to take that next step. God, don't let them leave from here without first taking that next step. God, we thank you that you hear us, that you care about us, and that you want our best ultimately in the end. So, Lord, I just pray that you continue to grow us, grow us in our faith. We thank you and we love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.